What is up, everybody? This is Adam. Welcome back to Fouled Out. It is August, and that means that it is NFL season here on Fouled Out. I know at least one listener who's going to be very excited that we're getting started on our football coverage, but uh, Matt's going to be here today. We're going to start previewing all of the divisions in the NFL, starting today with the AFC North and the NFC North. So we have a couple cool categories that we set up. Uh, to give you a quick overview of what's going on in the season and kind of the players to watch and what the storylines are going to be. So let's go. All right, Matt is here. And Matt, it is time to discuss football this is what we've been waiting for for so long so there's football on every weekend from now up until the bye week before the super bowl starting tonight with the hamilton tie cats taking on the winnipeg blue bombers Woo! oh shit are we not we're not doing canadian that's not what this podcast is i mean it's football it is it's, it is it's real regular season football no, actually, there is a preseason NFL game on tonight. The Steelers are taking on the Cowboys in a game of franchises that I can't stand. So they I'll both pro- kind of suck. I probably actually will be watching the Thai Cats play the Blue Bombers because Canadian football is fun. You guys should check it out. So I will be watching the preseason game and hating both teams and hope they both lose. But we are not here to discuss preseason football or Canadian football. We are here to talk NFL football and do some division previews. Uh, so the next four episodes here, we're doing two divisions at a time. We're going to do compass style where we're going to go northeast, southwest. Matt, how do, you, how do you remember your compass directions? Are you a never eat shredded wheat kind of guy? Or are you soggy watermelons? What's your deal? No, never eat shredded wheat. Yeah, no. Okay. Okay, we're on the same page. We're, this is never eat shredded wheat game, gang, on the yeah, Fouled Out it, podcast. It just it just meshed so well with my philosophy on cereal that I couldn't I couldn't abandon it. It's hard to pass up. That's the next T-shirt. Never eat shredded wheat, gang. Here we come. In this, we're starting with never, and we're starting with the North in the NFC and the AFC. So, I guess we'll go with uh, NFC first. And I mentioned at the top of the podcast here that. We the way we're going to preview these divisions is by kind of giving like a general overview. We have we came up with five categories that you know we think give you kind of a good idea of what teams to watch in the division, what players to watch, and kind of what's going on going into the season. So that said, we will jump into our first category, and that is the biggest storyline of the division. And Matt, I don't think I'm being hyperbolic by saying that this first storyline is probably the biggest storyline in all of football going into the first week of the season before the games start. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So that is, you guys have probably heard about this a lot, but uh, I'm calling it Green Bay's last dance. Over the offseason, Aaron Rodgers, quarterback for the Green Bay Packers, basically tried to force his way out of Green Bay. And I won't go into all the details because we've talked about it a couple times, but uh, it didn't work. And now there's a very awkward situation. He's come back. He's in training camp right now. He's going to play quarterback for them, at least to start the year. 
And aside from him, they also have wide receiver Devontae Adams, who, if he's not the best receiver in the league, he's top two, top three. And Adams has, uh, they were having contract extension talks with Adams throughout the offseason as well. And it kind of seemed like when it became official that this was going to be Rogers last season in Green Bay, that Adams is going to take his talent elsewhere as well. And it was really punctuated by the fact that both Rogers and Devontae Adams posted a picture of Michael Jordan and Scottie Pippen from The Last Dance on their Instagrams the same time, same night. <laughs> kind of indicating that no matter what happens this season, that this is it for both of them. So you're talking about, you know, one of, if not the best quarterback wide receiver duos, potentially leaving Green Bay after the season. I guess not even potentially like they're gone. I, I don't think that there's any chance that either of those guys stays at this point. And I think the question this season is really, does this galvanize the Packers or does this completely tear them apart from the inside? Because they're the runaway favorites in this division, as long as they kind of stick together. And we've already seen some kind of infighting between Rogers and some of the offensive linemen. And we've seen comments by some of the other players and obviously the front office of the Packers about Rogers. So it's, it's a big thing to watch. And you're, you're going to hear all season about where are these guys going to go? Do they go somewhere together next season? Do they potentially like if things don't start great in green Bay this season, do one or both of them get traded uh, by the trade deadline, which I think is like week four or five and kind of what happens is there potential for this to spiral out of control. So that's, that I think is the biggest storyline in football and definitely for me, the biggest storyline in this division. Yeah. And like this whole saga has been extremely dramatic in my entire lifetime the only series of events that I can think of that have been more dramatic has been the Antonio Brown situation. That is the only thing, which is a really, really high bar. Looking at everything that's happened and everything that's been said and everything that's been posted, there's no way that Aaron Rodgers comes back. And it sounds like from the reports, they've kind of set up things in the contract to where he kind of can go after this season. But then there's Devonta Adams, who, as you mentioned, has broken off contract extension talks with the Packers. If they lose a couple games in like their first four or five games, how does that go? Or... Maybe not even that. Say they have a great season all year. They get to the playoffs and they get punched in the mouth like they always do when they get to like those championship rounds. How are they going to respond? Because historically they haven't responded great when, you know, things were already fine. And now everyone knows that Devontae Adams and Aaron Rodgers are looking for the door. They have an opportunity to look at this and be like, hey, we got one last shot. Let's get it done. But like you mentioned, it can go a completely separate direction. Yeah, two things. One, you're, you're 100% correct. This is Kardashian levels of manufactured fake drama between Aaron Rodgers and the Packers. It's not that I'm saying all his grievances are fake because he actually has some very legitimate gripes with the organization. Oh, yeah. 
but like the the publicity and like the the fact that he dropped the fact that he wanted out on draft night and like this is I feel like I'm watching like Real Housewives of Green Bay over Dude, here. Was it him though? I could also see it being the Packers that week then. Try to make him look bad and make the story all about them on draft night. It's possible. Yeah. Because we also in those reports heard about how hard the Packers were trying to get him to back in the fold and they were sending everyone out to meet with them and this and that. And that seems a lot like a spin job to me because if you're doing things right initially, you don't have to do all of that. Thing two, the, you know, we are calling it the last dance because they posted that last dance picture of Jordan and Pippen and Jordan and Pippen and all those guys in the Bulls, Phil Jackson, all those guys, they all knew it was going to be their last season and it really galvanized them and helped push them to get that sixth championship. But that was a team that had already won five together. This is a team that has not gotten it done. Uh, Aaron Rodgers hasn't won a championship since 2011 when he won his only one, which was 10 years ago. Now it's kind of crazy. Uh, And honestly, like the Packers have not had a ton of playoff success since then. I think they're about eight and nine overall. And they've lost, they've made it to the NFC championship the last two seasons in a row, uh, but lost handily to the 49ers and then uh, lost a tough one at home to the greatest quarterback of all time, Tom Brady and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. So that's one big thing to keep an eye on. Uh, Matt, what's your, what's another big storyline for this division? Going back to draft night, there was also a lot of drama because someone was slipping down the draft board. Pre-draft, there was a lot of hype about Justin Fields. And you and I have kind of talked about before, when he slips all the way down to, what was it, 11, right? Yeah, it was the 10-11 range that the Bears traded up for him. Quarterback with that much hype slips that far, like, there's something there, right? There's got to be a reason. People don't just pass on franchise quarterbacks like that and so my storyline is does he find a way to prove those other 10 teams wrong and live up to that hype he's got the physical talent to do it but you know like it's i don't care what your physical skills are like to be a high profile quarterback in the nfl it is an uphill battle and it's going to be really interesting to watch him, you know, sort this out. Like, is, is he going to be the guy that, you know, people thought he was going to be after that first playoff game this year where he just destroyed Clemson. Torched Clemson after his <laughs> insides had been liquefied by the Clemson linebacker. I'm glad that you brought this storyline up because it actually transitions really well into our next category. And that is, what is the most interesting unit to you uh, in this division? And mine is the Chicago Bears offense. This, the offense of the Bears has really been like the key thing that's been holding them back over the last couple of seasons. Uh, I think it was, you know, what, two or three years ago, they had a historically good defense. And the offense just completely laid an egg. And a big part of that is that their quarterback for the last four years has been Mitch Trubisky. 
and they've their quarterback play has been so bad that they brought in Nick Foles last year and thought that was going to make it better. You know, so it's a big storyline this year because they're they're going from bad quarterback play to I would say at the very least competent quarterback play. I wouldn't wouldn't really say good with Andy Dalton, but I'll I'll go with competent. So it's a big question, you know, kind of, you know, part of your storyline and then part of why this unit is so interesting to me is, is the upgrade from horrible quarterback play with Trubisky to competent with Andy Dalton enough to make this offense successful? Or do they have to turn it over to fields? And if they do turn it over to fields, can he be good enough this year to take that offense to the next level? Because I would argue they actually the pieces around the quarterback in this offense are very good. I think better than a lot of other offenses around the league. You have Allen Robinson, who I think is one of the most underrated wide receivers in the entire league. This guy's had multiple 1,000 yard seasons with Blake Bortles and Mitch Trubisky being his primary quarterbacks for his entire career. He, he had a 1,400 yard season in Jacksonville with Blake Bortles. Uh, and then last year, he had 102 catches for 1,250 yards while having a combination of Mitch Trubisky and Nick Foles at quarterback. You know, besides him, they have uh, Darnell Mooney is super talented sophomore wide receiver who if you like his stats weren't gaudy last year as a rookie. But if you watched him, there was plays where he was so burning. Yeah, so many missed big plays where he would just he was burning corners he was burning some of the best corners in the league and he's just got serious wheels yeah he's super fast and really talented and for that guy to be your number two like if you can get competent quarterback play or get like good quarterback play with fields mooney could absolutely go off uh especially being across from robinson because robinson's going to get a lot of the attention so you know lots of talent at wide receiver uh david montgomery had 1500 total yards and 10 touchdowns last season kind of sneakily uh, really kind of broke out at the end of the season when Cohen went down. And then aside from him, Tariq Cohen's going to be back. And then they have the rookie Khalil Herbert, who both of us like a lot. Uh, so good running backs. And then they, I kind of forgot about this until I started doing the research, but they also added Tevin Jenkins to their offensive line. Kind of solidify that position. Uh, Cole Komet is playing tight end. I think this is his second or third year at tight end. Like, so there's a lot of firepower around the quarterback. And the big question with this unit is going to be, can Andy Dalton make them successful or do they have to, how soon do they have to go to fields? Cause I kind of feel like when you draft a quarterback in the first round, like nowadays, you kind of have to go to them eventually, whether they're the day one starter or whether it's like a couple weeks into the season, you're going to have to, unless Andy Dalton can really outplay him, which I don't see. You know, after because Dalton was surrounded by talent in Dallas last year as well and kind of didn't really get the job done down there. So I don't see him being the end all be all for the Bears. So he's probably like a five or six week starter at most. I mean, to be fair to Andy Dalton, Dak was putting up insane levels of points while he was playing last year. And they were still losing games because their defense was that bad. Andy Dalton never stood a chance at winning games because their defense was one of the worst in the league. So it's not just winning games, though. Yeah, I don't blame him for not winning games with the defense being that bad. 
Uh, he just was statistically not that great with, you know, Amari Cooper and CD lamb at wide receiver. Right. Yeah. Well, and I don't think he was really the right backup for that team. Like he physically just can't do some of the things that Dak does, especially at his age now, maybe he was when he was younger, but like he can't move well enough to do some of the stuff that Dak does. If you are going to ask him to drop back and make quick decisions, be the, the trigger man for your, your scheduled offense, he can do that. But don't ask him to, you know, carry the load for your team and make plays out of the pocket and extend the play. Like, and we're talking way too much about Andy Dalton right now. <laughs> no, yeah, he's he's a competent to, you know, pretty good quarterback. Now, I wouldn't say good. He's okay. He's all right. But with yeah. the talent yeah. around him and, like, you you know, you mentioned Matt Nagy, who when he came over, he's, you know, was critically acclaimed as this, like, offensive genius coming out of the Kansas City system where he had coached Mahomes and had coached under Reed. And it's just never happened for them in Chicago. So I think this is the year like, hey, you have all this talent surrounding your quarterback on offense. If you can't get it done this year, like Mitch Trubisky, you can't blame Trubisky anymore because he's not there. Nope. You know, so you got to make the decision as the head coach. Are you comfortable going with Dalton and having competent quarterback play? Or do you make the move to Fields? How soon do you make the move? And like you said, can Fields live up to the hype and be good enough to take this offense to the next level? There's going to be a lot of pressure there in Chicago for not only for the Bears to win this season, but also for Fields to be good right away after the big trade-up that the Bears made in the draft. So that's that's the unit I am keeping my eye on the most. Uh, what about you? What's your most interesting unit? So I have the Vikings defense. Um, they were bad last year. Not as bad as the Lions but not that far off. <laughs> they were just bad on a lot of levels. Um, and if you've paid attention to the Vikings history under Mike Zimmer, that has really never been the case. Mike Zimmer has been lauded as a defensive guru who just always finds a way to you know, get the right guys in there and coach them all up. Um, Daniel Hunter was like one of numerous uh, young, talented players who maybe weren't that great in college that he was just able to coach up and turn into a really good player. So it was always thought that it was never really going to be an issue as long as Mike Zimmer was there. But they were real bad last year. And they haven't really been as successful the last few years, especially now that like, you know, they've, they've got a quarterback, maybe not an elite one, but Kirk Cousins is capable of putting up points. And that was for a long time thought to be the Achilles heel of this Vikings team. This defense has to bounce back if Mike Zimmer is going to, stay comfortably in his seat so it's going to be interesting to see how this defense progresses because to be fair there was a lot of youth on this defense last year 
uh, especially in the secondary. Yeah, and they, to their credit too, they went out and added, you know, some pretty good pieces, including Patrick Peterson, who's going to be a huge upgrade in that secondary yeah. for this season. Uh, he's, you know, he's getting a little long in the tooth, but they made some moves they're going to have to make. The thing that really scares me with the Vikings is this whole story about them being the least vaccinated team in the NFL. Uh, and, you know, for those that don't know, the NFL basically put out the mandate this year that if you your team has to miss a game because of COVID or because of like your team having COVID, that you're going to have to forfeit that game this season. They're not going to reschedule it and mess around with the schedule like they did last season. You're just going to forfeit. Uh, and fun fact about the Vikings, like basically if you take a random season of Tom Brady's career, he has a higher chance of going to a Super Bowl than a Vikings player has of being vaccinated at this current moment. <laughs> I don't know. Like, does that say more about how great Tom Brady is and how many Super Bowls he's been to or how low the vaccination rate is in Minnesota? I think it's a little column A, a little column B. <laughs> yeah. So that, that makes me a little bit nervous for the Vikings. Uh, and especially, you know, if they're the defense was bad last year and they're trying to make upgrades, but if guys are missing games because they're out sick, it's a tough look. It's a tough look for them. Same, you know, same thing on that offense as well. So real big issue uh, is who one of those unvaccinated players is. Their quarterback. They're very anti-vax quarterback. Yeah, we we won't get super into the whole vaccination thing on here. Uh, all I'm going to say is go get vaccinated. The Kirk Cousins does not want to. And uh, just recently, I think all three of their quarterbacks were out sick from training camp. And they had to bring in like practice squad guys to run with the first team. So tough situation there on both sides of the ball. But so that's another really interesting thing to watch up there in Minnesota. Uh, let's go on to category three. And that is who is your favorite non-quarterback to watch in this division? I'll let you go first on this one. For me, this year, it is going to be TJ Hawkinson. Uh, he made a big jump last year. Um, and that was with a weird offseason, by the way. <laughs> that, is, that, that COVID offseason is the weirdest offseason that the NFL has ever had. They lost Marvin Jones. They lost Kenny Galladay. They lost Amendola. The word out of training camp and from all the OTAs and everything is that TJ just looks different this year. And if you aren't really aware, one of his close friends is a little known player named George Kill. He works out with him all the time. Yeah, he, he works out with George Kittle like all the time. And it would not surprise me if he came into this year and he's just that much harder to take down. He's that much harder to cover. Uh, he was already a really good blocker. Like, I know that blocking isn't thought to be like one of the sexier parts of the game, but like, it's just beautiful watching your tight end. Ooh plow into someone and just drive them into the fucking dirt. 
Dude, depends depends who you talk to, because trust me, as a longtime Gronk fan, blocking can yeah. be sexy, man. Watching yeah. some of the best highlights, some of the best Gronk highlights are just him like driving dudes down the field out of bounds. And I just I fully expect to see TJ Hawkinson firmly cement himself among like the top four tight ends in the league behind like Kelsey Kittle and Waller. Like it's going to be a big four after this year. The the one thing I wanted to say about Hawkinson before I give my player two is that a lot of times with tight ends is like a very difficult position to transition from college into the pros. Yep. And you know, just because he was drafted high, I think a lot of people wanted to see results right away. And not that he was bad as a rookie or in his second year, but it just takes some time. Like you look at like a guy like Travis Kelsey didn't really break out until his third or fourth season. Uh, Kittle took a year. Gronk took, you know, a little bit over a year to break out. Like, so some of those guys had their big season, their second season, like Gronk and Kittle. Kelsey took a little bit longer, like Waller took it. You know, there's a lot of examples. So I think that he's a prime breakout candidate as well, just because of the timing and development at that position. And I mean, if you look at his rookie stats and compare it to, you know, the stats of those other guys that are kind of the cream of the crop, it's right in line or above. And also, by the way, he, you know, made the Pro Bowl last year. So it's kind of already started to break out. He's just, he hasn't quite reached that upper echelon elite receiving threat quite yet. Um, but I think it's coming because he's so big. Like, you can't put a safety on him. That's not going to work. I mean, other than guys like Deion Jones, like, what linebacker is going to be able to move to keep up with him? For sure. So, interesting player to watch. Uh, speaking of elite receiving threats, I'll, I'll give my player as well. And mine is uh, Minnesota wide receiver Justin Jefferson. He's coming off of one of, if not the greatest rookie wide receiving seasons of all time. I don't know if the way I said that made sense, but he broke the record for most yards by our rookie wide receiver last year with exactly 1,400 on the dot, uh, 88 catches and seven TDs. So I, I want to see how he follows it up. He is a really nasty route runner, uh, maybe already the best in the league or like up there with the best guys in the league. And I'm actually, I'm going to talk a lot about route running on this podcast. Just, and I love good route runners at wide receiver. I just, you can tell when someone is a good route runner, you can tell that they've put like the time and the effort into their craft because that's like a skill. That's an obtained skill, just years and years of practicing, like the, just the most minute details of your footwork and your cuts and your like just everything. And it's just like a, it's a big equalizer in football to be a great route runner. Uh, you don't have to have the top, top end speed of like a Tyreek Hill or like the athleticism of a DeAndre Hopkins. If you're a great route runner, you can level the playing field at wide receiver. And that's, you know, that's what Justin Jefferson does. He leverages his fantastic route running ability in order to, put up elite numbers and just if you watch him like I saw a tape of him running a route in practice the other day where he made the corner fall flat on his face 
when he came out of his first cut, the corner like just fell for the move and just fell completely down. So he's just super fun to watch. I can't wait to see what he does this season after how many yards he had last season and having a full NFL off season for him to work on his footwork. Like he, he put up 1400 yards while having five games where he didn't even get to 50. So like, that's, that's pretty good. So if he can eliminate those kind of like stinker games or the kind of inconsistent games, the, the one thing that scares me for him is like we were talking about, we don't know who's going to be throwing him the ball. Uh, right. if, if Kirk Cousins is out, but he's he's going to be putting on a clinic in a lot of team secondaries this season. And in fairness to Jeff, Justin Jefferson, most of those games where he didn't even get the 50 came like early in the season when he wasn't really getting the ball very much. And then once they figured out, oh, he's just that good. Those games really trailed off. Oh, yeah. Two, well, like two of the five were his first two games after yeah. not, not having an NFL offseason and starting as a rookie. And then a yeah. couple couple happened later in the season. But, yeah, he also had some monster games of, like, 175, 180 yards. So Yeah. But so. you want to talk sexy. What's sexy for me is watching guys who just have that footwork for their, their release to get around the press. And dear baby Jesus he is already at like a five-year vet level as a rookie. He was. He, he's incredible to watch. I can't wait to see him. Uh, and, you know, speaking like, of footwork and route running actually leads me into category number four. And that is who is your favorite rookie in this division. And mine is uh, I think both of ours are actually kind of under the radar here uh, because yeah, they're not like the first couple picks, but mine is a guy who I think is, going to be a fan favorite here in Detroit very quickly. Uh, probably going to be a favorite of mine, and that is the Lions what was it? Fourth, fifth round pick? Uh, uh, fourth round, yeah. Fourth round. Wide receiver out of USC, Amon Ra St. Brown. Like, okay, so first, yeah, first of all, sick name. Secondly, another guy who, he's a great route runner. That's, you know, his, his best skill in college was his route running and his toughness, uh, and great at yards after the catch. But my favorite thing about him is that he is just like super tough and he's a really great stock blocker. Like he's a very good run blocker, puts a lot of effort into it. And when you think about the culture that Dan Campbell is trying to bring into Detroit, where they want to be tough, they want to bite kneecaps. They want to like, you know, we're not going down. If you punch us, we're not going down without punching you kind of thing he's a player who's going to fit into that culture perfectly and like great example. I don't know if you saw this, but uh, he got in a fight at practice yep. the other I day. Was bring it up, but you beat me to it. <laughs> yeah. He got in a fight at practice the other day. And instead of being pissed, Dan Campbell said that it fired him up. Like he was <laughs> fired up. These two guys were fighting because they're, and that's just the kind of guy he is like, and it shows because he's a great route runner and he puts the dedication and the time into his craft. And he's just tough as hell. And he's going to hit some corners pretty hard this season. And I and I want to jump in and kind of clarify on this a little bit. Some might be a little bit concerned about not having a whole lot of you know repercussions going into fights happening in training camp. This happens literally 
every single year in multiple training camps. Fights happen all the time. Um, more often than not, the next day, it's all forgotten about. Like These guys are fighting for their jobs, their spot in the depth chart. Um, and in the case of this situation, Amon St. Brown has been doing very well. The guy that he got in the fight with is Ifimo Fanwu, a cornerback who's also a rookie, who has been struggling a little bit. And there was an undrafted free agent who's also a cornerback who has been doing much better than him. And so if Amara is just doing work on him and guy, you know, kind of loses a little bit and throws a strike in on St. Brown. Look, if you're a scrappy guy like him, you're not just going to take that. Like these things, they're going to blow over. They'll be fine. We, we saw yeah. a full on brawl at giants practice the other day. Yep. Was, yeah, they had, they had to shut it down. Like yeah. that's a bigger deal than. <laughs> yeah, it, they'll be fine. They'll be fine too. Like it's it's nothing to worry about. It's just like yeah. a. I was just bringing it up as more of a story to kind of speak to that he is like a scrappy, tough, like lunch pail kind of player, and he's quickly going to be a fan favorite yeah. in Detroit. I think. Last thing on him, and we'll go to your favorite rookie. You know, you mentioned when you're talking about T.J. Hawkinson that there's not a lot of depth and not a lot of like really elite pass catchers on this lions team this year. Nope. Like he's going to have the opportunity to step into a role and I think be a really good slot receiver from them right away. All right. So who is your favorite rookie going into the season for this division? It would be real easy for me to go chalk and, you know, pick one of my lions guys. Sewell was obviously super easy. Um, You already mentioned someone that I'm really not happy about where he got drafted. And that is Khalil Herbert. I thought he had the potential to be basically an Aaron Jones clone. And I don't really want two of those in the same division, but here we are. I actually had a discussion with Carlos and Carlos is convinced that David Montgomery and Tariq Cohen are going to remain above him on the depth chart for most of the year. But I think if Matt Nagy has any sense, if Khalil Herbert looks the way I think he looks in training camp, by week like two or three, he's going to be getting at least 15 touches a game. He's just a really strong, instinctive runner. He's got just enough explosiveness. Like he's just, he's dangerous. You know, if nothing else, he's going to be a really good kind of a different back from David Montgomery in that offense. Yeah. He, he has a skill set that's different from Montgomery and Cohen. So like that committee has the potential to be really dangerous this season. Yeah. So, I don't love it. <laughs> <laughs> so, all right. Category five, the hurricane. What is your bold prediction for the NFC North? So just before Matt does this, we prepped each other on everything except for our bold predictions. We don't know. We have no idea what he's going to say. My prediction is that TJ Hawkinson will lead the Lions in receptions, yards, and touchdowns. Not many people do that. 
no matter how good or bad their team is. But I think kind of the perfect storm situation is set up for him. Not a whole lot of other options around. And he also has a good enough quarterback to throw him 10 to 12 touchdowns if it comes to it. Or even eight would be enough to honestly lead this team. I don't see anyone else breaking five. So my bold prediction is also Lions related, shockingly here, because we're both from Detroit. <laughs> Even though I'm not a Lions fan, but uh, I, I like them. And the one, the one thing I do want to say. He doesn't like to hurt himself as much. Yeah, the one thing I do want to say about the Lions before I say this is that uh, living somewhere where the team is good is fun. So I hope that this rebuild goes well. Just because, like, I can't imagine, like, living here and having the Lions in the Super Bowl, how, like, hype the town would be and how, like, you know, I, I live 15 minutes north of Detroit, and uh, it would be insane around here if the Lions were really good. Uh, and my bold prediction uh, is basically that they're going to be better than expected this season and that they will not come in last in this division. I am going to say that they will finish ahead of the Vikings. So I think with Brad Holmes and Dan Campbell coming in, and setting up this culture and like how much of a culture shock it's going to be from where they were with Matt Patricia that, you know, we've, we've seen how much of an impact just culture can have on a team and on an organization. And the lions, I think are just going to be a really tough out for people this season. Like they are not going to be a walkover win. Uh, the thing that concerns me with Dan Campbell from going from being a, tight ends coach for the saints to being the head coach of a football team is uh, the X's and O's. But I kind of think that falls more on an offensive and defensive coordinators plate anyway. To be clear, he wasn't simply the tight ends coach. He was also the assistant head coach to Sean Payton for like five years. Sean Payton went out of his way to groom Dan Campbell after he saw how Dan Campbell coached in Miami in the interim role. Uh, That's something that Dan has talked about a lot is that the whole pitch that Sean had to bring him to New Orleans was that he was going to get him ready to be an NFL head coach. Yeah, that's a good point too. So I I think that they're going to be a tough out. So the prediction is partially due to the lions and the culture change. Uh, and also I just like kind of low key really like what the lions did on offense. Like they're going to have one of the best offensive lines in the NFL this season. I think with Decker and Sewell and some of those other guys and Bragg now, uh, I like Swift. And then I think the wide receiving core, I think like the, the lack of talent and the receiving core is kind of overblown. Dude, like I've Hawkinson and Amon Ross St. Brown. I, th- I think they're going to be fun. I, I'm not going to say they're going to be a playoff team or anything like that. Um, the other part of this prediction is also like we talked about the vaccination issues up in Minnesota and the fact that like people like Kirk, like key players like Kirk Cousins may miss time due to COVID and they may have to forfeit games if they can't get COVID under control up there. Uh, and I, I don't know if they're going to have the best season, even though they have a ton of talent on that team. Yeah. So, all right. So that is it for the NFC North. Uh, Matt and I will be right back and we're going to go through the AFC North. Woo!
All right, we are back and we are ready to discuss the AFC North, uh, a division full of teams that I, as a Patriots fan, hate. So my uh, category one biggest storyline of the season, uh, and I'm, I'll jump into mine first, and that is, can Cleveland take the next step to becoming a contender? Uh, the Cleveland Browns, after years and years of mediocrity, went 11-5 and five last season and even won a playoff game. Uh, and this was their first year with Stefanski as the head coach. I would argue they should have won two playoff games, but a really bad call with uh, Sorensen with the helmet-to-helmet hit that made, uh, I think it was Rashad Higgins, fumble into the end zone against Casey. Yeah. Kind of screwed them. And then like a miracle play by Chad Henney that kind of came out of nowhere. And they still almost won that game. So I would argue they could have made it further in the playoffs. And then they had a really good offseason. They added a lot of talent uh, with guys like John Johnson and uh, Troy Hill coming over from the Rams. Like they signed two-fourths of the Rams secondary and then also had a great draft with JOK and Greg Newsom. So lots of talent added to a team that was already very good. And then if you think like, you know, Baker Mayfield, Miles Garrett, these guys should probably take another step forward. Theoretically, the Browns should be very good next season. However, it's the Cleveland Browns. I don't I don't think that I have to be a Browns fan to tell you that uh, it's a tumultuous history history there. History? So, history. So, <laughs> they should be good. They should be very good. Uh, and I like everything that they did this offseason, but it's Cleveland. So I, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, everything is there. Everything. They showed that they are capable of getting it done last year in the playoffs. Like literally their only need coming into this offseason was a cover linebacker and they got the best one in the draft in JOK. So they just have to do it. Yep. They um, they proved they could play with the big boys last year. So yeah. you know, my my big storyline is to watch them and say, like, hey, are we are we just going to be playing with the good teams or are we going to be beating the good teams this season? What about you? What's your biggest storyline to watch? Mine is the Steelers neglecting their offensive line needs, or at least not investing in them with enough capital to really fix the issue and rolling with an aging quarterback who did not play very well and potentially seeing the decline of one of the most consistent franchises in the NFL. I think it's not exactly a secret that over the last couple of decades, the most consistent thing about keeping them a contender has been their offensive line. And now it's, probably the weakest point on their team by like a long shot. They invested in a running back in the first round when they could have drafted Tevin Jenkins. The Steelers are weird because they were 32nd in run blocking last season and they had like a really bad run game. And so they decided the way to fix that instead of getting a better run blocking offensive line was to get a better running back to run behind a worse offensive line. And uh, I think Najee Harris has a chance to be really good, but like, is that, 
is the talent at running back going to be enough to overcome the fact that they're probably going to be 32nd and run blocking again? Well, no, it's not. To me, to <laughs> me not. Najee Harris isn't even the type of running back that you're going to expect to succeed behind a bad run blocking offensive line. Like, he's a really talented guy, but he's not that shifty. He's not going to bury Sanders his way through three levels of the defense. And then you've got this quarterback who's it's like his late 30s or mid 30s at the youngest can't really move his arm strength is declining how is this playing out in a positive way like the Steelers always seem to kind of pull it together a little bit but this time I'm looking at it and I'm just I don't see it like their defense is great but you got to score points and they struggled so much because they couldn't run the ball last year towards the end of the season. And the template for opposing defenses is still the same. Yep. That's so it will be a big thing to watch, especially because they won the division last year, even yeah. with all of that, they still won the division. So it's crazy. <laughs> I know. So onto category two, and that is the most interesting unit. Uh, and mine is the third team in this division, the Baltimore Ravens offense. And it's kind of like a weird thing because the Baltimore Ravens offense has been very good in the, in the regular season over the last couple seasons. However, since Lamar Jackson took over as the quarterback, the offense in the playoffs has only put up 13 points per game. And they're one in three. And it's even worse because their defense is only allowing 18.5 points per game. They're also their latest playoff loss was a 17 to three loss to the Buffalo bills last season where the defense only allowed 10 points, but the offense only scored three and threw a pick six. That was over a hundred yards. You know, this offense is extremely unique and we've seen how good it can be in the regular season with Lamar Jackson winning the MVP in 2019. But the big problem is it's really bad in the playoffs. And the big thing about it is that they really don't have a passing game that works in the playoffs. You know, and part of that for the last couple of seasons has been the personnel and the other parts kind of been the play calling because they have had games where they fall behind by double digits and they completely abandon the run, which is like really the basis of their offense and just start chucking the ball all over the field with a passing offense. That's not built to do that. You know, they just don't have the personnel for that. So this past offseason, uh, they went out, they added Sammy Watkins, and they drafted uh, the wide receiver from Minnesota, Rashad Bateman, who, if you remember back to our draft episodes, was my favorite draft prospect. And they, they've they added the personnel, uh, not only in the receiving core, but also along the offensive line for that passing game to be better. And now it's just a question of, can they get it to the point where it can be successful in the playoffs? Yeah, I mean, I think the biggest issue for this offense is Greg Roman needs to adapt and diversify his offense enough to where you can run actual passing plays that aren't dependent on you running the ball. Their running game is top tier 
all the time. Like it is so hard to combat what they do in that running game. But once you figure out how to do it with Greg Roman, there's really nothing else that offense was able to do. Um, And this is not Lamar Jackson issue. Lamar Jackson won an MVP and rightfully so, because he's that talented and intellectually he's capable of running a successful offense, but you need to, as an offensive coordinator, give your quarterback the opportunity to make the defense pay for whatever decision they make. And too often, Lamar Jackson has been put in positions where he didn't really have much of a chance to succeed, uh, especially in the playoffs. He's got a little bit more talent now to work with. I'm still hopeful that Miles Boykin can turn into something really physically gifted, but we got to see something different this year. My big thing with them too, is that, you know, from a personnel perspective over the last two years, they really haven't had like the guys that allow you to throw intermediate passes outside of Mark Andrews was really like their big, you know, it was like Mark Andrews and then Willie Sneed were like the guys who were working in the intermediate because they have Hollywood Brown, but he's a burner. You know, he's not a, he's not the guy like they've needed the guy besides Andrews, because I, I love Andrews. Like he's one of my favorite players in the NFL, but he's not necessarily, he's not the outside guy who's going to win on third and seven and help you keep the chains moving in the playoffs. And they, they need that guy. And I personally, I don't want to step on the favorite rookies part of this too much, but I think they got that guy in Rashad Bateman. It's just a question of how good can he be year one? Uh, and they got Sammy Watkins too. I think Watkins can help. Yeah, I was going to well, say so. like Watkins can absolutely help out there. Uh, you know, historically he's been seen a little bit more as more of a deep threat guy, but like he's a very experienced receiver despite all his injuries. <laughs> if you need him to run that, you know, 14 yard dig route to get you that first round, that first down, not a first round, maybe he can get you a first rounder. Probably not but he can still do that and take that hit and come down with that catch. Yep, absolutely. So what about you? What's uh, what do you think the most interesting unit in this division is for me? It's Cleveland's offense. They have the potential to just be the most dominant unit in the league because they have arguably the best runner of the football in the NFL and Nick Chubb. And that offensive line is just dirty. Just real dirty. Jeez. They got Hoover and Njoku at tight end. And then they got OBJ on the outside. Donovan People Jones played really well down the stretch last year. And could be a really big, deep threat for them. And then Landry is still a really, really good slot receiver. There's just a lot to combat in terms of the weapons. Now that they have a quarter, uh, head coach who seems to understand the way that Baker Mayfield is comfortable playing, they you're not 
getting free runs at Baker on his deep drops and like, like, what do you even do? Because they're going to run the ball down your throat. You talked about all the weapons on that offense and didn't even mention Kareem, uh, Kareem Hunt, the other running back. And you right. know, if, you, if you listen to this podcast, you know my personal feelings about the fact that Kareem Hunt should not be allowed to play in the NFL. However, he is, and he is very talented. And that one-two punch with Chubb and Kareem Hunt is the best running back combo in the league, bar none. There, there is no better running back combo than the two of those guys because they're both like 1A options. And so that running game with all the other weapons they have and how good that defense should be, it really like, you know, I, I said in the beginning, can they take the next step? The question is, can Baker get them there this season? And if Baker can take the leap forward, this is a legit Super Bowl contender, which is crazy because it's in Cleveland. Let's go to category three. Yeah. Yeah. Because we're going to, you're going to talk about, I'll let you go first because we're going to stay in Cleveland for category three. Uh, your yep. favorite non-quarterback in this division. And I, I didn't want to throw out there too. We decided to do non-quarterbacks because the yeah. quarterbacks get so much hype and there are so many other great players to watch in the NFL, but go ahead. So I had a hard time narrowing it down <laughs> on this one. So I chose two, which is kind of cheating and a dick move, but it's, it's our podcast. We can do uh, whatever we want. Yeah. Uh, so I chose Miles Garrett and Nick Chubb. And so just real quick, Miles Garrett, outside linebacker slash defensive end for the Cleveland Browns, and Nick Chubb is the running back we were just discussing. Yes. Miles Garrett might be the best pass rusher in the league right now. And if you take a look at their depth chart on defense, there's a lot on that defensive front for the rest of the offensive line to pay attention to. There's not going to be an opportunity to double team him on every play. And if you double team him, you're not guaranteed to stop him. I, it's just with how much talent they have on that defense, it's hard for me to not see him having a, another like 15 plus sack season probably more multiple forced fumbles, probably scoring a couple touchdowns. And then Nick Chubb, I I already kind of mentioned, I feel like he's the best pure runner of the football. Maybe not necessarily the best running back all around, but just definitely I feel like he's the best runner of the football. Um, just the combination of vision, the acceleration, the power. He just has everything that you want out of someone that you're about to hand the ball off to. And I mean, ever since he's become a lead back, he's just done nothing but produce. I'm still mad that I traded him in fantasy that one year, his rookie year, when Hugh Jackson decided to not give him the ball all season until after I traded him. Oh yeah. Well, I'm mad that the Patriots spent a first round pick on a running back from Georgia and it wasn't even the right running back from Georgia in that draft. They drafted Sony Michelle over Nick Chubb. God. Uh, moving on. Cause I can't spend any more time on the Sony Michelle thing. It'll drive me crazy. Uh, my favorite non-quarterback is Pittsburgh outside linebacker, TJ Watt. Uh, and talking about 
great pass rushers like Miles Garrett. You know, he's you said he may be the best in the league, and he probably is, but this guy could give him a run for his money. Oh, yeah. Through 62 career games, uh, TJ Watt has 230 combined tackles, 49 and a half sacks, 111 QB hits, 59 tackles for a loss, 17 forced fumbles, and 25 pass deflections. He, he basically, what they did, he's, he's JJ Watt's little brother. They basically took JJ Watt, made him slightly smaller and put him at a different part of a defense. He's, he's his brother reincarnate. He gets after the quarterback. He deflects passes. He's nose for the ball. Uh, he's a guy who's gotten better and better every year. Uh, he had, you know, he's gone from seven sacks to 11 to 12 to 15, you know, and not only does he sack people, he also knocks the ball out when he does it with the 17 force fumbles and he can play in the passing lanes. Like he's just an all around great defensive player, uh, big potential to be defensive player of the year this year. I think it's going to be a battle between him and miles Garrett, honestly. Yeah. Turns out that uh, when you are extremely physically gifted and also your older brother is a guy who has like probably two or three seasons with over 20 sacks you could be pretty good at rushing the passer. Yeah. It just kind of runs in the family over there. But uh, what about category four? Who is your favorite rookie for this division? This really shouldn't be a surprise because he was kind of the guy that I was hoping would slip to the lines in the draft. It is Jamar chase. Well, I don't think it was necessarily the best decision for the, the franchise, to not take an offensive line, they definitely got the best receiver in the draft and arguably the best receiver to come out of a draft in a really long time, maybe since Julio. Just the way that he's able to take the ball out of the air, the way he's able to just produce after the catch and break tackles, he's just, he is like one of a kind. Yeah, we talked about Justin Jefferson earlier in the NFC North portion of this podcast. Just keep in mind that the two of them played together at LSU and Jamar Chase had uh, outproduced him. So and the yep. same in the same offense. He gets to play with Joe Burrow. His buddy. <laughs> if uh, if they can keep Joe Burrow alive behind that offensive line. Uh, right. My favorite rookie is also a wide receiver. And, uh, you know, I mentioned it earlier and anybody who's listened to this podcast before knows this is coming. It is Rashad Bateman, the wide receiver from Minnesota, who was drafted by the Baltimore Ravens. I won't go super into it. If you really want to hear me go like into his statistical profile, you can go back to our uh, favorite NFL draft prospects podcast that we did around draft time. Uh, but just as a reminder, his profile, his advanced stats profile from college indicates that he's going to not only be a very good receiver, but be good right away. Uh, his dominator rating, he had a career rating of 35, which led all receivers from the draft class. And then he also had the youngest breakout age of any receiver in the draft class. And like, I won't go super detailed with this again, but both those things basically indicate he's going to be very good. And I think he is quite possibly the key to unlocking this Baltimore Ravens offense in the playoffs. He is Justin Jefferson esque with his great route running. Uh, and he's pretty tough after the catch too. So like, is he going to have a season like Justin Jefferson had last year? No, 
He's just not, not in that offense. Uh, and no one may ever do that again, but he does a lot of the same things. He's very good route runner. Um, and just needs to make sure he's bringing in the ball. So definitely someone I got an eye on. All right. Yeah. He'll definitely have opportunity. Oh yeah. No, he's like I said, like the big thing missing in that offense, the last couple seasons has been like the intermediate threat, the go-to guy on third and seven kind of guy who can win on the outside. And that's, he's got that written all over him. Like I, I love the pick for them at the time. I love the player. Uh, hate the fact that he's in Baltimore. <laughs> all right. Category five hurricane. What is your bold prediction for the AFC North? This is my big bomb. I never thought I would speak these words, but the Browns will represent the AFC in the Super Bowl. It's a bold prediction because it's Cleveland, you know, but, uh, but yeah, like I said, like, I feel like they're very close to being there. I look at their team and I say, that's a better team than the chiefs. And I know I'm going to catch some heat for that. I've caught it from friends, but like they gave the chiefs more than they could handle in the playoffs. And there's an argument to be made. They kind of got screwed out of it. Obviously the score was what it was. They lost. I'm not going to go into it more than that, but like they did enough in that game to say we're on your level. Cleveland Brown fans. I was pissed off about the Sorensen hit. I'm still mad about it. I think that Cleveland would have won that game. if It wasn't for that uh, bad call on that hit, but uh, my bold prediction for the AFC North, is that the Steelers offense is going to be among the worst in the league and that the Pittsburgh Steelers will miss the playoffs this season after going 12 and four and winning the division last season. Uh, overall, they were 22nd in yards last season, uh, 2019 when they didn't have big Ben, they were 29th in yards. Uh, the O-line was bad last season. It's only gotten worse. And you have big Ben who is old. So I know, that defense is going to be amongst the best in the league. They're going to be really nasty with TJ Watt, Minka Fitzpatrick, and some of the other guys they have. Uh, I just don't think the offense is going to get it done. Even they have a ton of talent on offense. The receiving core is really good with uh, Deontay Johnson, Claypool, and Juju. Uh, Najee Harris, I think, can be a really good running back at the NFL level. I just think between quarterback play and the offensive line, like, I don't see it. I, I could see them being 32nd in offense this season. If Joe Burrow stays healthy, they could finish last in the division. So I was going to go there. That was going to be my bold prediction that Pittsburgh was going to finish last. However, if you've read the stuff coming out of Bengals camp about the fact that Joe Burrow is very ginger with that knee right now, uh, he's had multiple, apparently multiple plays where he's, just thrown the ball down or just stopped the play because someone got too close to his leg. Um, you know, it was a big mental aspect to overcome, not saying you can't overcome it, but like, if we're talking about, if we're saying that Pittsburgh's going to be bad because of a bad offensive line, uh, you know, we're talking about a team in Cincinnati yeah. that has an arguably worse offensive line. Uh, and I'm, I'm a big O-line guy. I, uh, you know, like I was saying, I, I like the lions more than most this season. Cause they're going to have a good O-line. Yeah. I don't like the Steelers. I'm fading the Steelers because they have a bad one. So, uh, but that is all we got for you guys today. We will be tackling the AFC and NFC East next week. 
Uh, as always, Fouled Out can be found on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Pocket Cast, Overcast, anywhere you get your podcast. You can follow us on Twitter at Fouled Out Sports. And you can follow me on Instagram for cute pictures of our mascot, Koji. Woo! All right, man. Good first NFL podcast. I will see you for the eat portion of the Never Eat Shredded Wheat preview podcast next week. All right. And uh, I would say go USA, but really it's more just Kevin Durant at this point. Um, But yeah, USA basketball going to the gold medal game. Revenge on France, hopefully incoming. Knock on wood. Yep, let's go KD. All right, man. I'll see you later. See ya. All right. Bye, guys. Bye, mom.